and welcome back to Favorite Things, uh, your favorite podcast for listening to two people who don't know what they're talking about, <laughs> meander, mumble, and figure their way through between a half hour and an hour worth of, well, conversation, or <laughs> ranting. Anyhow, um, so this week we are talking about the 2001 film, A Knight's Tale. This is my pick for uh, movies we're thankful for, and... Uh, before I go on what will undoubtedly be a very one-sided diatribe, uh, <laughs> what's, what's your memory slash history with this film? I remember it's kind of a fun take on, um, a Renaissance era, um, night scale kind of thing. Called... The name of the movie is a night scale. scale. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get any sleep last night, so it's my brain's okay. not working. Um, but on like a, a night trying to, I don't remember what he's trying to do, or, but he's um, on a, a quest. And as I said, put some modern music in there and just kind of make it fun and funny. And I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. So I was first exposed to this movie in high school history class when my teacher, who was trying to make history approachable, showed a lot of movies that aren't exactly historically accurate uh, to show the feel of the time. And uh, whatever his execution, his intentions were good. And I saw this movie, and this movie was legitimately entertaining to the point that afterwards I went out and picked up a copy. This movie was my first exposure to Heath Ledger. Um, a majority of the United States had already been exposed to him through the movie The Patriot the previous year. Um, and Heath Ledger went on to have an all too brief but very bright career um, as an actor. And this was the movie that really brought him to my attention. Um, and this also brought uh, such actors as Mark Addy, Alan Tudyk, um, Rufus Sewell, um, all into the forefront in a way that I hadn't really experienced before. This was also my first experience uh, with director Brian Helgeland, or Helgeland, I've never heard his name said out loud, so I'm just going based off of what I've read. Um, so what he's known for is two movies that I enjoyed that will probably never be a favorite things episode that you're on. Okay. Um, but they're the movies uh, L.A. Confidential and Payback. Uh, L.A. Confidential is one of my favorite uh, detective noir films. Um, Payback is... A revenge movie uh, starring Mel Gibson from 1998. And it is dark, but it is um, a really good revenge movie. Um, so this, um, this movie, unlike all of those others, um, this movie is interesting because it's, it's a few different movies in one. It's a period piece. Uh, it takes place uh, in the the late Middle Ages, early Renaissance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a sports movie. Yeah. It's about uh, medieval tournaments and jousting and what knights did to gain um, 
acclaim and, and fame and fortune. Uh, it's also a rom-com. Yeah. And it does all of these things in a balancing act that as I remember it pulling them off, and as we've talked about before, nostalgia is a double-edged sword. Yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I remember this movie being fantastic at all three of those. Um, and the thing I the two things I remember most is one, this has a great classic rock soundtrack, and two, the performers are above and beyond what they should have been for honestly what should have been a B movie. Yeah. And this movie didn't break the box office it didn't break records um but it has become a favorite for a lot of people and kind of a cult classic so re-watching this tonight i'm really hopeful that it's as good as i remember it because yeah. i remember it being a transformative experience for a 16 17 year old kid at <laughs> yeah. the time and as a 20 something the last time i remember watching this um actually sitting down and watching it. I'm, I've had it on in the background yeah, more recently. Um, but the last time I actually sat through the whole thing, I remember being enamored with it. And so, um, please check my nostalgia as we, as we go yeah. through it. Feel free to make fun of anything that doesn't work. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I I remember this movie very fondly, and I hope I remember it just as fondly when we get to the podcast proper. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break so that we can watch the movie and uh, have some coffee and cake, and <laughs> we'll be back with our thoughts on the movie. So we just finished uh, A Knight's Tale, and contrary to Betsy's yawning, uh, <laughs> this is an enjoyable movie. Yeah, it really was. So before I launch into dissecting and, and chopping and, and all sorts of stuff, give me your thoughts. What Watching this, you teared up a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. You, you uh you got caught up in it. I did. I definitely got caught up in it. I didn't remember probably ninety percent of it. I mean, I remembered enough of it, but I probably did not remember ninety percent of it. Okay. So yeah. what what stood out to you watching this? Um. So I had some thoughts on that, and now they just kind of vanished. Um. Okay. <laughs> there was something I was like, oh, and that would be perfect, but uh. You want me to take the wheel, and then when yeah, you've got to pop in, the, all right. The squirrel in my brain so, running. so setting the ground rules, mental picture. We're sitting here in our living room. When you think of what you want to say, pop up your hand, hold it, and as soon as I can <laughs> let go of my thought, you can take over. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, this held up for me. Uh, it was just as good as I remember. Um, the, uh, the staging, the music, the acting, I forgot Paul Bettany was in this mm -hmm. and he's a very important role. Yeah. Um, and this is a fantastic movie and, uh, it's a shame that it didn't, it didn't get more 
love when it first came out. Yeah. Um, I, I can see the flaws in this movie. I can see the strings, but I, I think it is a joy to watch in spite of those. Yeah. So the fact that uh, this very much is an international cast, uh, you've got um, Alan Tudyk, who I believe is American. Uh, you've got uh, Mark Addy, who's British. Heath Ledger's Australian. Shannon Sossman's uh, American. Uh, half the cast uh, outside of the main actors are Czech uh, or British. Um, their accents give them away. Um, and this is a this is a fun movie. Um, I really like how much they play with uh, little history, little nuggets in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, Jeffrey Chaucer being played by, um, and now I'm blanking. It's, <laughs> it's contagious. It is contagious. Um, Vision. Yes, Paul Bettany uh, as, as Jeffrey Chaucer. Um, who, of course, wrote the Canterbury Tales, A Knight's Tale being the first uh, of the Canterbury Tales. So the idea, as I read it on, on the behind-the-scenes information for this movie, was Brian Hedglund um, is, is writing the movie from the standpoint of this is what might have happened during a brief time where history doesn't have track of Chaucer. He disappears for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the idea that he would be hype man for this uh, peasant turned knight uh, is kind of a fun story. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't really know what else to say beyond this is an an exceptionally well put together movie and. It's a good sports movie. Uh, I've been to uh, a Renaissance fair or three, and uh, jousting is never as exciting as it is in this movie. Uh -huh. um, between their staging, uh, the filming of it, uh, the fact that they use uh, breakaway, um, like really good breakaway uh, lances uh, that are made of uh, wood, balsa wood, uh, the interior are made of, uh, dried pasta, uh -huh. um, and every hit, and then the sound design makes it all so visceral. Yeah. And it works really well, where if you go to a Renaissance Festival, it is never that exciting. <laughs> um, and, and they do a pretty good job at these festivals, but... The truth of the matter is, if two guys are riding at each other with lances, the odds of one of them being seriously injured or killed are actually pretty high. Um, the closest I've seen outside of this movie to the real danger of, of what combat sports in the Middle Ages and early Renaissance would look like is probably Game of Thrones. Um, in a couple of seasons, they have these tournaments where they go and they fight, 
and usually someone ends up dead. Yeah. And that's what would more than more often than not actually happen. Right. Um, because you are riding a horse at another man full speed, um, and you are pointing a stick at him. Yeah. A very large stick. Um, the odds of someone getting hurt, even with armor, are great. Yeah. Um, that said, as a sports movie concept, it works really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rom-com part of this works largely. I don't think it's perfect. Um, I think that the Jocelyn character could have been more fleshed out. Um, I think her motivations, what she wants besides Heath Ledger, um, could have been better spelled out. Um, she's, she's snarky and independent, but we don't know why she's snarky or independent. We don't know what she's going to do with that. We hear the threat that, uh, Adamar is, uh, played by Rufus Sewell, is going to be getting an arranged marriage with her. But we don't know how much agency she does or does not have in that arrangement. And the dark thing in this movie with everything spelled out is there is every possibility, if she has no agency, that she still ends up married to Adamar at the end of all of this. That's the dark truth of this movie because there is no conflicting information of, oh no, he was just talking out of his butt. Yeah. If... If that is true, she might still be getting married to Adamar at the end of this movie. But I think with him becoming a knight, a real knight in the end and everything, I think uh, I think she has some agency with her dad. She's she's like the she's she's like daddy's little princess. So, <laughs> I feel like she's gonna she'll get her way. But that's the thing. We don't We don't know, know that. that. It does that, but in my head we, that's my head canon. We you can you can do that and and honestly because this movie does not adhere to history or the rules yeah it's a happy ending and it it ends the way it ends yeah um but it it's one of those i would have loved to have seen more of her backstory who is she uh what is her relationship to her family Mm -hmm. um she's strong and independent from what we see but knowing how people are People act independent until their parents show up. Yeah, that's true. So this is me nitpicking yeah. a movie that I love. I, right. I I enjoy this movie a great deal. I would have loved to have seen Jocelyn have more agency. Yeah. Um. With that said, it's a. There are plenty of deleted scenes from this movie, um, and. Some of them make the movie take a darker turn, and it really works better that the movie only ever gets as dark as it does. Yeah. Um, and so long as this movie is busy being a sports movie and being a rom-com, I think it works at its best, and the medieval stuff is honestly set dressing. This isn't a period movie. Right. Uh, as far as, no, we're, we're not going to have period authentic music because it would stink. Yeah. Um, mainly because uh, Roger Ebert 
had said, hey, I'm okay with the music being anachronistic because even a classical music score would have been at would have been anachronistic because it wouldn't be invented for another like 150 years yeah so this this movie works as a as a fun ride um have you thought of of any of your stuff yet well i thought so i'm not sure if it was what i was thinking of earlier while watching it but one of the things that i love about this movie is the fact that william throughout the whole movie even though he lied about who he was to be able to joust. Mm-hmm. He had honor mm-hmm. through the whole thing. Even when they found him out, he went with honor and didn't run. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way up to the end, even when they had him in the stocks. And, you know, he was just... He... Alright, now the, the squirrel in my brain is... It's okay. Again. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, this is what happens when you have no sleep. Okay. Um, but, I don't know, I think, I, I just like that. In a lot of movies, even, like, they'll have a moment where they will turn and they will do something stupid um, that kind of takes, you know, out of character for them. So, the, what you're saying is they'll, they'll make a move that's not uh, consistent with their character. Right. And then, the then they have to redeem themselves in the end. Yes. But in this, he stayed true to who he was throughout the whole movie, even when the conflict happened. And So I think who, who he is... I see two things there. One, uh, what you're talking about where he has a code of honor, mm-hmm. that's rule one of writing any her- hero character mm-hmm. in, in a movie. Yeah is they have to have a code, and they have to adhere to that code. And it's the reason that we will root for someone, even as they commit a crime in a movie, because they're the good guy. They're doing, they're doing this for a reason, a good yeah. reason. Um, and two, the, the other thing I note in, in watching this is William's greatest fault outside of deception is that he believes if he wants it enough, the world is going to bend to his will. Mm-hmm. And at the end, that's what the yeah, movie does. But is. not before it snaps back on him. Right. And, and honestly, without some royal intervention, he's a dead man. Right. Uh, and dead in a ditch. Um but he's he's got this idealism that uh, it's the dream scenario. It's if I want it enough, if I work hard enough, I'm gonna I'm gonna achieve the biggest thing ever. I'm gonna be the best athlete. I'm gonna be the best musician. I'm gonna be the best received mm-hmm. actor, and. Millions and millions of people try this all the time, and only one or two succeed. Right. Um, and that's the joy of movies like this, is because we get to live vicariously through these characters. Whether it's Rocky and Rocky, mm-hmm. or it's William Thatcher and A Knight's Tale, or it's... Um, 
Princess Mia in The Princess Diaries. It's, I get to be exceptional even though I come from humble beginnings. Yeah. And that's the joy of stories and, and storytelling. Because, I mean, Taylor Swift just, like, broke the internet with ticket <laughs> sales um, that a lot of people are upset they weren't able to get get one. And she's... She's a girl who's been writing songs and performing, and she's really good at it, but how many other people that were born around the same time would love to have even a 50th of her fame or mm-hmm. notoriety, and it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and, of course, this is medieval Europe. It's on a much smaller scale. <laughs> um, they don't have, apparently they don't have real background checks, like, no one thought to go and check in on uh, the old uh, Liechtenstein, uh, yeah. you know, nobility. Um, but, I don't know, it's, he is a hero at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that, I think the other nitpick I had in this was that they had to make Adamar evil. Um, there's a point, I want to say, I want to say about 20 to 30 minutes in, it's, it's at the dance that Adamark goes from being William's rival to being a villain. Yeah. Uh, and there's a difference. Uh, a rival is, uh, Apollo Creed and Rocky. He's... He is an antagonist. He's there to foil the, the main character's uh, attempt at greatness or, or at winning. But it's because they want the same thing. And so they're, they're fighting for the same thing. They're equal and opposite forces. And I would have loved to have seen Adamar more in that role because there are several moments in this movie that Adamar almost play sympathetic. Yeah. You almost sympathize with him, but then he leads full into the villain. Yeah. It's it's the fact that he literally leads his entire regiment as a mercenary on a pillaging run just so they get kicked out of the war so he'll be back for the tournament. <laughs> uh that's that is some villain of villain stuff. It's literally saying to the hero Hey, I'm going to steal your girl, and she's not going to have any say. I will have her. That's villainous. Yeah. Um, versus the Adamar at the beginning, who is, like, he's picking apart his technique. He's, he's talking to trash about his armor. That's, that's a rival. That's right. a... And had they gone through the whole movie, and at the end, it's... Uh, we we just finished a couple months ago, Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. It's Johnny Lawrence and Daniel. Yeah. It's it's the moment where these two guys hate each other because they both want it so much. But at the end of the day, only one of them gets to walk away with the prize. And he goes, you know what? It sucks, but good job, man. Yeah. So, I feel like I just nitpicked a movie that I absolutely <laughs> love. Um, love the song choices in this. Uh, it 
was an inspired choice to start the movie with We Will Rock You by Queen. Um, I really like, uh, this movie was one of my earliest exposures to David Bowie music. Um, the rendition of Golden Years in this movie is, uh, really good. Um, and then, uh, I feel like it's almost a practical joke that the movie ends with, uh, uh, she shook me all night long, uh, as they're making out. Um, no, this, I would love to see more movies like this. And the, and the fact that this movie didn't blow up, that, that doesn't happen. You, you don't get more movies like this be, because a studio looks at the investment and goes, no, I, we're not going to. We're not going to turn a profit on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, we have this one, and I enjoy this one. Mm -hmm. um, and as we were watching Ever After last week, what I remember thinking about this one, and it's it's taking that classic medieval or renaissance story and putting it through the lens of the time that you're making it mm -hmm. and this movie screams 2001 uh <laughs> you were talking about uh shannon sossman as jocelyn uh all of her hair and out outfit choices and all of those are contextualized to to the setting of this movie but those are very much year 2000 2001 like that's what wild colors going through her hair that, that I don't think you would see in the medieval. <laughs> that's what you would see on the runway in 2000, 2001. Yeah. They can again, they contextualize it to the Middle Ages, but the whole idea of this movie is at the time, like literally whatever outfit a girl wore to court or to the tournament, that was going to be her she she was showing out. She was mm -hmm. she was trying to get a man. Um and for for the knights, they're very much the professional athletes, and they're they're gonna go, they're gonna show out, they're gonna cheat, mm -hmm. um, and when they inserted the music into this film, it was inserting again contextual music for how it be how things would be processed at that time. So whenever they're dancing to, to David Bowie, it would be like, oh, we've got this favorite court song, so we're going we're gonna to dance to that. Um, and I thank God they didn't actually pick a song from that time because they're not good. Um, but again, all the choices work, and that's, that's so... It's admirable to look at the construction of all of it and the way it fit. And if you have a copy of the Blu-ray or DVD of this, you can look at uh, the deleted scenes. You might be able to find them on YouTube. I encourage you to check them out because they were cut for a reason. Um, and the restraint that Brian Helgeland used in the cutting of this film and his editors used in the cutting of this film... Uh, 
saved this movie from being a bad movie. Um, whereas we've talked about other movies where maybe a deleted scene might have saved some plot lines. I think everything was trimmed. Uh, there's a plot line uh, that was cut from the movie where we met Chaucer's wife, um, who is also apparently a nudist. Um, uh, you you see less than what you see of Jeff, but you see enough. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole scene where Adamar basically like goes nuts after the dance, and it like gets people into a frenzy outside. <laughs> um, yeah, this is... We're recording later than I'm usually awake, so it's... Girls in your brain are getting slow, too. Uh, something like that. <laughs> it, I'm also kind of... I'm out of practice critically praising uh, a movie. I've I'm gotten so good at critiquing, and I'm trying to praise this movie... Um, I still, I still could never have predicted who would explode out of this movie and who would not. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that Heath Ledger's career didn't immediately explode out of this is shocking to me. Mm -hmm. Um, he honestly, he kind of had a slow career and he did a lot of great work, um, up until his death in 2000 late 2007, early 2008. Um, but outside of Brokeback Mountain and The Dark Knight, none of his movies explode. None of his movies are the biggest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And then the movies where he does explode, it's the end is near. Yeah. Um, then people like Mark Addy, Mark Addy um, as Roland, uh, his his best friend. Mark Addy went from this to a sitcom. <laughs> um, that was okay. And then he was the king that, uh, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, dies in the first season. Um and, and kind of sets the whole series in, in motion. Um, and then you've got Alan Tudyk, who has one of the most illustrious working actor careers. If you've seen a Disney movie in the past, well, the past year, but the past several years, I guarantee you've seen at least one, if not multiple, projects where he was a voice actor or an actor mm -hmm. in it. On top of starring in a sci-fi television show, Resident Alien, on top of uh, uh, being a voice actor for non-Disney projects, on top of the year after this movie comes out being in one of the cult sci-fi TV shows of all time in Firefly, <laughs> he has one of the most illustrious acting and voice acting careers for a working actor. I don't know that he's a superstar, but he should be for the number of credits under his belt. Yeah. And then that's before we even get to Paul Bettany. 
Paul Bettany, who the same year this comes out, is in A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe and his future wife, Jennifer Connelly, um, starts getting awards praise left and right, eventually becomes Jarvis in Iron Man and then Vision in The Avengers, and his career is still flying high. And Shannon Sossman does this movie, and I think she does a couple more moderately successful movies. Uh, her big one is the uh, 2002 uh, kind of dirty rom-com of 40 Days and 40 Nights um, with Josh Hartnett, and then she kind of falls off the planet as as far as mm -hmm. uh headlining she she does little stuff here and there including the show wayward pines that we've seen but she's not a leading lady after mm -hmm. after about 2003 um and off of this movie i i would say oh everyone's going to be a star yeah um and then the ones that you're like, oh, they'll be a good supporting actor. They're the ones who lead actually kind of prestigious careers, yeah. forward-facing careers. And that's mind-boggling. Yeah. So, any other thoughts you have uh, besides this movie good? Because right right about now, I feel like a caveman going, I, I give this two, yeah. wheel, two wheels up. I will say my favorite thing is, like, throughout the movie when... Uh... I can't think of names anymore, but the bad guy. Adamar? Yeah, Adamar. When he, Rufus like, Sewell? Yeah, when he would tell William throughout it, he's like, you have been measured. You've been weighed, you've, you've been, been measured, measured. You've been found wanting. He says that a few times to him. And then at the very end, like, they're all on the, after, you know, he's flat on his back, been defeated. They're like, you have been weighed, you have been measured, you've been found wanting. Yeah. I don't know, that's like my favorite part of the whole movie. So, the question I have for you on that scene is, did that happen, or was, or was that in, in Adamar's head? See, that's what I was like, because I, because I remember that being something that happened. That was one of the things I remembered about the movie. But then watching that, I'm like, I think it was in his head. Because at no point do they ever say anything like that to Adamar. And the way anyone ever refers to Adamar, outside of William, like... Literally, um, Wart at one point just calls him like an evil son of a bitch, and and that's the only thing that he ever refers to him. Yeah. And everyone else kind of just curses and under their breath or or yeah. refers refers to him as sinners. No one ever really deals with him on that level, and even William wants to beat him and be gone. It's yeah. it's not something where he's wanting to gloat, but after Adamar has done all that garbage, uh he sees that William's going to come back and give as good as he got. Yeah. So, that's all I got. Yep. Anyway, that's that was for some reason that stood out the most to me. All right. Uh we'll be back next week with 
uh, our last uh, movie we're thankful for. Betsy, do you have a pick? I don't know. I can't say tonight. We will have it next week. Um, In the meantime, if you are interested in watching this movie, it's on a few different streaming services, uh, Netflix being the most prestigious. Um, I would highly recommend it if you've never seen it. If you have seen it, but it's been a while, check it out. It's worth a watch. We'll see you next week with more favorite things. Bye!